Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Wednesday, October the 25th, 2023. It is currently 7.01 p.m. Central Time, and I am not coming to you live from the sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located in the middle of nowhere, Texas. No, I am coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio located in Abilene, Texas. Now, some may say Abilene is in the middle of nowhere, but trust me, the Sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church is truly located in the middle of nowhere, Texas. We are not having in-person services this evening. Now, I've already done two broadcasts today, so there was a part of me that said, you know what, that's that's good, that's sufficient, but then there's another part of me that's going at 7 p.m. Typically, we would be at church. Can I go do something else and really do something else and not sit there thinking the whole time, I should be at church. I should be doing something. So here I sit in the studio, 7 p.m., Wednesday, October the 25th, Theology Central Studio, and we need to talk. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever picked up maybe a theology book, just any kind of Christian book about anything? It could be devotional, doctrinal, theological, about anything. And you start reading and you're kind of like, wait, what? What are they saying? Like, I don't know if I really understand. And you're a little bit confused. And then you kind of get a little bit irritated. You're like, well, wait a minute. What? Wait, is this? Is this something I need to really worry about? Like, what is going on here? I didn't even know this was an issue. And then you kind of get frustrated and maybe you just put it down and walk away and never worry about it again. Or maybe you try to come back to it and try to figure it out a little bit, just worried that, oh no, what is this going to lead to? Uh, Well, maybe, maybe you don't feel that way, but I feel that way. I guess the reason I feel that way is I'll look at it going, oh no. Okay, so so there's some other, like there's another theological issue that I wasn't aware of. There, there's something else that Christians disagree on. There's some other theological problem. So that frustrates me that it, I just, it seems like, you know, every day you can find something else that Christians disagree on. That just gets maddening and depressing. But then for me, it's like, oh no, oh no, oh no. If this is an issue, I've got to talk about it. But if I talk about an issue that's divisive or something I've never, well, then it's going to lead to division and confusion and disagreement. So if I bring it up at church, what could be the unintended consequences of trying to figure this out? Could someone leave the church or get mad? And then if I bring it to the microphone, then how many listeners do I lose? So sometimes you start going, is it, is it really worth it? But, but I, I can't, I can't stop myself. Now, now this one. I don't remember how long ago, but I told everyone to go to subscribe to the Grace and Focus magazine. Go to faithalone.org, faithalone.org, and subscribe to the Grace and Focus magazine. Actually, a physical magazine gets, you know, mailed to your house, right? It's really nice magazine. I, I, I love it. And it's free. It's absolutely free. So I told everyone to subscribe to it. And every time they come in, I'm always like, well, I, I, I could probably do an episode about this. I could do an episode about that. And a lot of times I don't, I don't get around to it because we're talking about a million other things. But in this particular issue, the September slash October 2023, volume 38, number five issue of Grace and Focus magazine. First, the cover caught my attention because it says ultra dispensationalism right? Which we were getting ready to start a mini series on dispensationalism. So I thought, do I ever, do I use this? But I just wanted people to kind of understand the basic classic dispensationalism. But okay. So that was interesting. And then I received a, a, a think more than one email, maybe two, maybe three. I don't remember sure, uh, uh, exactly how many. And they pointed to the very first article in this issue. The very first article in this issue, and it is entitled, Believe in Jesus for the Forgiveness of Sins? Exclamation point. Is that a saving message? Question mark. Believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins? 
Is that a saving message? So when I when I started getting the emails, I'm like, oh, I wonder, I wonder if people are asking because they're just saying, believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, but they're not mentioning repentance. So this is going to create an ongoing debate and discussion about what, what repentance is or isn't. So I, I was like, okay, I'll get to it. I definitely will get to it. And then, well, then I got distracted by a million other things, of course. And I and every time I got ready to pick up, because I kept I kept the issue of the magazine, like right here. I, I actually was on the other side of the table where I'm broadcasting, laying on the floor where I could just see it, right? I, I know you're like, get your stuff up off the floor. Okay, well, it's my floor. So I, okay. so I just left it there. And so anytime I'm broadcasting, I could see it because it's a, it's a bright red cover with white lettering, right? So, so I knew I could see it. And so every time I would, I would see it over there, I'm like, you know, at some point I got to pick that up. And I got to at least look at it. But do I want to get back into another debate about repentance? I've covered that subject so many times. So it's Wednesday. Like I said, typically I would be at Victory Baptist Church and we would be working on Ezekiel 39 tonight. That's what we would be doing. And soon we'll be back on our study on the tabernacle. So, all right. So I, I wouldn't even be addressing it. But because I'm here in the studio, I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? I'm like... I'll go pick it up. So I picked it up. I turned to page four on one side, right? It's on an entire page just for the title. Believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Is that a saving message? All right. Then you turn to page to page five and the article begins. Now, I just started skimming the article and immediately was like, wait, what? Wait, what are they saying? Wait, I don't know. Do I agree? Do I disagree? Oh, no, 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 no. This this is going to be controversial because I know this would create controversy. So then I'm like, oh, do I tell? Why did I tell people in email that I would discuss this? Why, why, why? Why, why? I'm like, why do I do dumb things? Okay. But I'm like, okay, well, if I, so then I thought, well, maybe, maybe I can just turn on the microphone and answer this quickly. But as I looked at, I just started skimming it. I was like, oh, I don't think this is going to be so easy. And I don't even know if I have an answer. I'm like, well, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Well, I, what I'm going to do is we're just going to work through this. And I'm just telling you right from the start, I don't know. I don't really know. I don't really know what they're saying. I don't know if I have an answer. I'm a little perplexed by it. I don't know if I really understand it. Maybe I should. And maybe as I start reading, I'm like, oh, I know what they're saying. Or maybe as I'm reading, I'm going to get more confused. But then you know what that's going to lead to? If I get more confused, then I know other people out there could get confused. And my job is to help you not be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. How do I keep keep people from being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine? I make sure you know every wind of doctrine so that when you finally hear it, you're like, oh, I already know about that. And we've discussed it. The only problem is when you try to deal with every doctrinal perspective and you struggle through it and you don't just approach different doctrines through the lens of your theological team whom you've chosen, but you look through every theological issue willing to truly consider it. Well, guess what happened? You may change your mind or you may start having a different perspective, which then immediately ticks everyone off because they just want you to look at everything from their team's perspective. And you know what I think about theological teams. You can take your theological team and take a very long hike because I'm not following your team. What I want to do is understand theology and things in light of scripture, irregardless of which team I support or don't support. I don't care about your team, which gets me in trouble. So this is, this is, this is prime material. That could lead me to have to stand behind the pulpit going, guys, I don't, I've never considered this issue and then work through it. Sometimes playing the devil's advocate always makes people nervous because they're like, oh no, oh, where is he going? You're like, calm down. Let's see where we're going to end up. But because when I approach it, I'm willing to go any direction that I think is in line with scripture, no matter which again, team it offends. So we're going to work through this. I have no idea what's getting ready to happen. I literally don't. I have no idea. Maybe it turns out that it's no big deal. Maybe it turns out where we're all perplexed and confused. If at any point in this, you're like, 
I don't have any clue what's going on. By all means, jump in. If you read this article, you probably emailed me because you probably were just as perplexed and confused as I at least feel at least just skimming it. All right. And I only skimmed the first page, so I I have no idea where this is going to go. It begins on page five with this sentence. I conducted... A very unscientific survey. Oh, I like that. I like that sentence because immediately as a reader, you're like, what was this survey? What, what was he asking about? Right? So, so immediately you want to know more. So a good opening sentence pulls you in. All right. Got it. All right. Next sentence. What I found is that the most popular way of presenting the gospel today is for the speaker to tell unbelievers that Jesus will forgive them of their sins if they believe in him. Do you think that's a popular way of presenting the gospel today? Believe in Jesus and your sins will be forgiven. They will be removed as far as the east is to the west. They'll be thrown in the deepest ocean to never be heard from again. Believe in Jesus and you will have the forgiveness of sins. Do you believe that's a a popular way to present the gospel? Now, see, immediately I'm thinking, oh, this is going to say, what about repentance? Right? That's where I'm thinking because maybe, again, I came into Christianity really at the birth, at the very time the, the lordship salvation idea was being birthed. So when I came into Christianity, I was immediately exposed to the lordship idea, which constantly pounded the fact, you must repent. You must turn from your sins to believe in Jesus, right? And so, yeah. So I I immediately start going, oh, this is going to be an argument about repentance. But it doesn't seem like this is where they're going. So where are they going? Let's find out. Here we go. Here we go. We find this gospel. Now, the gospel that they're referring to is a message that says, believe in Jesus, and he will forgive your sins. They say, we find this gospel presentation in numerous tracts, in sermons, and even on billboards along the highway. Now, the question is, is that a right gospel? Is it a true gospel to say, believe in Jesus and your sins will be forgiven? Is that the gospel message? Yes or no? Now, some of you will say, you must preach repentance. And repentance is not just a change of mind. It's a change. of Okay. And then we could get into a a debate of what repentance actually is or isn't. And what does that look like? Okay. But I don't think this is an argument about repentance. So ignore the repentance question for for now. If you tell someone, believe in Jesus, their sins will be forgiven. Do you believe that's true or do you believe that's false? Oh, I'm I'm curious, aren't you? Of course you're curious, right? Right? So you're going to keep listening, right? You're not going to, you can't, you can't, you can't tune out now, right? All right, here we go. Such a presentation is given in various ways. Often the preacher will use 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, which says that Jesus died for our sins. If we believe he died for our sins, then he will also realize, then we also realize that when we believe, he forgives us of those sins. All right, so let me read that again. So a typical presentation says, the preacher will quote 1 Corinthians 15, 3, which says that Jesus died for our sins. If we believe he died for our sins, then we also realize that when we believe, he forgives us of those very sins. The evangelist might say that when we believe, our sins are washed away and we become as white as snow. Does that sound controversial? Now, see, already I'm getting a little nervous because if they're presenting that this is the typically way that it's presented and they're writing an article about it, you can tell they're, you can tell, you can clearly tell the setup. The setup is they're about to drop a bomb in this discussion and say, that is not right. So I'm asking you again, is it wrong to tell people, believe in Jesus and your sins will be forgiven? It seems that they were about to hit us with a reality that claims, or they're about to hit us with a hypothesis. Let's put it that way. They're about to hit us with a hypothesis that claims, no, 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 that's not the case. I'm a little concerned here. I'm a little concerned 
So let's let's see where this goes. Are you ready? Here we go. Jesus certainly died on the cross for the sins of the world. When we believe in Jesus for eternal life, we also receive the forgiveness of sins. But here at GES, now GES stands for the Grace Evangelical Society, the Grace Evangelical Society. So, but here at GES, we are clear in proclaiming that one must specifically believe that Jesus gives eternal life. Believing in the forgiveness of sins is not the same thing. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, stop. Wait, wait, okay. Do what? What? Wait, wait, wait. So you have to believe in Jesus for eternal life. But believing to get the forgiveness of sins is not the same thing. Let me read that to you again. It's a little tricky here. So Jesus certainly died on the cross for the sins of the world. When we believe in him for eternal life, we also receive the forgiveness of sins. So it sounds like, well, if I believe in him for eternal life, then we also receive the forgiveness of sins. But here at the Grace Evangelical Society, we are clear in proclaiming that one must specifically believe that Jesus gives eternal life. Believing in the forgiveness of sins is not the same thing. I'm not sure I understand. Is this... I don't understand if I understand this distinction. Now, they they have this next paragraph. Is that being too picky? Why wouldn't simply telling the unbeliever to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins be an acceptable way to preach the gospel? There is a number of reasons why it is not. So it's not acceptable, according to the Grace Evangelical Society. According to them, it's not acceptable. It's not right. To simply tell people to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Now, I am baffled. I am perplexed. Now, there's a part of me that wants to dig into this and explore it and try to understand it and be willing to change my mind to any perspective that maybe I did not know to be more in line with Scripture. There's another part of me that goes, burn the magazine now. Burn the magazine and tell everyone, use hypnosis to make everyone forget that you ever mentioned the magazine. Because that just trying to work through this just has, you know, red alert, red alert, red alert, danger, 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 danger. Because, you know, uh, yeah, this is just not... Not a good, not a good thing. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger, Will Robinson. This, this, this has, this is just like, if you take this to the pulpit and start trying to work through this, something's going to go wrong. But I don't know if I even understand it yet. So there's somehow they're drawing a distinction for believing in Jesus for eternal life. And it seems there's a distinction between believing in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. But it says, if you believe in Jesus for eternal life, you get the forgiveness of sins. But then in the other way, there seems like there's a distinction. And they're saying, simply telling an unbeliever to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins is not an acceptable way to preach. Let's see where this goes. I'm a little confused. Here we go. Then, So they have that in a kind of a little box. And then underneath that, they have this as a heading. Eternal life and the forgiveness of sins are not the same thing. Eternal life and the forgiveness of sins are not the same thing. Okay, I guess you can make a distinction that eternal life and forgiveness of sins is somewhat distinct. But do you have eternal life without the forgiveness of sins? Now you have maybe when you say eternal life, that's typically we refer to eternal death and eternal life. So eternal life would be heaven. You don't get eternal life. You don't get heaven without the forgiveness of sins. So even though they may, on, on, I guess a very technical, 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 eternal life speaks of the quality and quantity of one's eternity, where forgiveness of sins re- re- deals with the fact that your sins have been forgiven. So maybe there's a technical distinction, but are they not at the same time linked together? I don't know. 
Here we go. This section begins with this. Eternal life means that the believer will live with Jesus in his kingdom forever. The very word eternal means that it cannot be lost. Once you receive it, it is yours forever. The believer never needs to receive it again. This is what we believe in Jesus for when we come to faith. So they're making a clear distinction that when you come to faith in Christ, you're you're placing your faith in Christ for eternal life, not necessarily for the forgiveness of sins, but for eternal life. But to believe in Jesus, isn't it all encompassing? I'm believing in Jesus. I'm believing in the one who paid for my sins. I am, I am believing in the one who forgives my sins. I'm believing in the one who will, his, his perfect righteousness is imputed to my account. I'm believing in the one for eternal life. Is this a, are they making a distinction for just like, I don't know for what reason. All right, let, let, let's see where this goes. I'm trying to figure this out. So eternal life means that a believer will live with Jesus in his kingdom forever. Now, the next sentence or paragraph says forgiveness of sins results in communion with the Lord. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. Okay, now I'm getting nervous. Forgiveness of sins results in communion with the Lord. Okay, okay, all right, never, 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 I misread it. All right, that okay makes a little sense. All right, I, I was I thought they were going to say forgiveness of sins comes from our communion with the Lord, meaning like, hey, you got to be in communion in order to get the forgiveness of sins. Okay, I was getting nervous for a second. All right, forgiveness of sins results in communion with the Lord. In other words, if you have forgiveness of sins, what's going to re- what's going to be the result of that is you're going to be in communion with the Lord. Okay, but this communion can be lost. Okay. I do believe, I don't, the word communion, I think, I, I, I think they mean fellowship. Forgiveness of sins puts me in right fellowship with the Lord. I cannot be in such close fellowship with the Lord or out of fellowship with the Lord based on how I'm living my life. Okay. I think there's some truth to that. Let's see where they're going to go with this. Forgiveness of sins results in communion with the Lord. But this communion can be lost. As a result, when the believer sins, he needs to be forgiven. This is an ongoing need in the life of the Christian. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? Okay. So he's trying to draw a distinction here. We believe we get eternal life. That never that never can be lost. We never have to receive it again. Forgiveness. We believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. All of our sins have been paid for, but we need ongoing forgiveness to some level for proper fellowship and communion with the Lord. Now, we could ask some deep, hard philosophical questions. Once again, because Christianity sometimes leads us into these things that seem to make no sense. Well, wait a minute. On one hand, I do understand that. On the other hand, I've always been perplexed by this kind of concept, right? If all of my sins have been paid for, then what am I ever asking for forgiveness again? Well, on one hand, they've been paid for as far as my eternal life has been, as as far as my eternal life matters, right? As far as, and in, in light of, of, well, let me say it this way. In relation to having eternal life, all my sins have been paid for in Christ. They're paid for, covered by the blood. In regards to our relation to my fellowship with God, my daily walking with him, then yes, there needs to be confession and forgiveness as far as my fellowship. As far as salvation, they've all been paid for. As far as fellowship, it's once again, the positional and practical distinction that I, I mentioned so much in Christianity. Positionally, all my sins are paid for. They're all forgiven, right? So anything I do in life can't question my eternal life because it's all been paid for. But in my, in my practical life, I mess up. Therefore, my fellowship with God can be hurt. So that's why we can, that's why we confess our sins in prayer, right? That's why we, you know, we, hopefully, whenever we commit a sin or are aware of a sin, we at least say, Lord, I understand my thinking. My, my desires are not right in, in right accordance with you. Please forgive me uh, for that. And thank you for the forgiveness that comes through the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
Right? So I understand that there's a distinction to some level here, but where are they going to go with this? Now, this one, this is the sentence that threw me off. I think now I'm starting to figure it out a little bit more, but this one threw me off. But again, I was just skimming it. A person can have eternal life, but not have the forgiveness of sins. Now that's where, okay, what do you mean by that? On one hand, I I completely reject this. No, if I have eternal life, I have the forgiveness of sins because there is no eternal life without the forgiveness of sins because all my sins must be paid for by Christ and in him, they're all paid for. So to believe in Jesus is to believe in the one who paid and died for my sins. Therefore, my sins are forgiven. So there has to be a positional forgiveness. Now, there may not be a practical forgiveness for specific sins because maybe I haven't, I haven't confessed them or whatever the case may be. My fellowship can be hindered, but my eternal life cannot. So when you say that there can be eternal life without, but not the forgiveness of sins, I struggle with that. I don't know what you mean by that. And then they, they use this as an example. Paul, for example, received eternal life on the road to Damascus when he believed that Jesus is the Christ who gives that gift. However, he did not receive the forgiveness of sins of communion with the Lord until three days later. I, 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 not, no, no, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm having trouble with this. Acts 22, 16, they don't offer... All right, so G, uh, so Paul on the road to Damascus, we know what happens. Saul, Saul, why that? Why does you per- persecutest thou me? Everything he's blinded. We know everything that happens. All right, so then, verse sixteen, and now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, so they're saying he was actually saved on the road to Damascus, but his 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 forgiveness happens in verse sixteen. Well, if his forgiveness happens in verse 16, you would be actually making an argument that someone's sins are not forgiven until they are baptized, which then would support baptismal regeneration. I'm having problems here. Let's see where they take this. Let's see where they take this. Since they are not the same thing, a person can believe that his sins are forgiven, but not believe he has eternal life. In fact, many people believe just that. So, okay, I don't, now this sentence is bizarre. Since they are not the same thing, they're trying to separate eternal life from forgiveness of sins. A person can believe that his sins are forgiven, but not believe he has eternal life. In fact, many people believe just that. Well, I don't know how you can believe your sins are forgiven, but not believe you have eternal life. Again, if your sins are forgiven, that's the, isn't that the key to eternal life? Your sins are forgiven positionally, perfect, complete. They're done. Practically, I am, my fellowship with God requires me to confess, speak to God, strive against my sin. That, that, that's an ongoing fellowship and relationship. My eternal relationship is secure. That's the only way that this makes their, their explanation here makes no sense. They jump to page six or they don't jump to page six. They have to turn to page six for the continuation. They say the gospel of John is the only New Testament book written to unbelievers. It tells them how to receive eternal life in John. Whenever Jesus speaks to unbelievers, he tells them that he has eternal life to give. He never tells them they need to believe on him for the forgiveness of sins. We need to only think of the book's most famous verse, a verse loved by countless millions. Jesus says to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You don't have to be a Greek scholar to recognize that Jesus never mentions the forgiveness of sins to Nicodemus. He does, however, tell them to believe in him for everlasting life. So they're, so they're saying, hey, because in John 3, 16, he doesn't mention the forgiveness of sins, then that shows there's a distinction between forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But if you're never going to perish, why are you never going to perish? Because all your sins have been paid for and forgiven. <laughs> I, I don't know how you can't, I don't, oh... This distinct, I, there's a positive thing to this distinction, but I think they're taking it, 
oh, I, I don't even know where that goes. The only time the forgiveness of sins is mentioned is in the book of John. And the book of John is John 20, 23. There, Jesus is speaking about the forgiveness of sins between believers. This should raise an important question. If Jesus did not ask unbelievers to believe in him for the forgiveness of sins in order to receive eternal salvation, why should we? I don't know what that means. I shouldn't tell people, believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, because in the Gospel of John, supposedly the only gospel written to unbelievers, Jesus doesn't appear to say that. But if it says, believe in him and you should not perish but have everlasting life, to believe in him would include the concept that your sins are paid for and forgiven. Isn't that the whole point? If you want to make a distinction here that, hey, you're positionally, all your sins have been forgiven, but practically... We have to confess to in order to maintain right fellowship and communion with Christ because that's our ongoing practical relationship, our practical fellowship. Our eternal relationship is secure. Our practical fellowship is not stable and it it fluctuates. If that's the distinction you're trying to make, great. But I don't think it's wrong to tell people, believe in Jesus and your sins will be forgiven. Positionally, they will be. So then they they continue. If believing in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins brings eternal salvation, it raises a troubling question. Who and all of Christendom is not saved? All right. I was a chaplain in the military for around 25 years and met chaplains from many different denominations and even cults. I never met one who who didn't believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. This is, I am so hard. I'm so having a hard time trying to figure this. I'm, I'm so, I'm trying hard not to just lose my mind here because I'm, because this is one of those times where sometimes in theology, we start making these distinctions and sometimes the distinctions are just, They become absurd. They become ridiculous. Let me give you an example. Particular redemption or limited atonement, right? People love to fight about this and people will lose their minds when you mention limited atonement. Limited atonement is the fact that Christ died for the elect. He did not die for the whole world. Now, everyone will lose their mind and go, no, Jesus died for the whole world. No, Jesus only died for the elect. Okay, okay, everybody wants to make the distinction. Everyone step back. Let's ask yourself, Jesus died for the whole world. So is everyone saved? No. All right, so then the effect of the Christ dying on the cross, the effect of the atonement is limited. It's limited to only those who believe. The other side says the the intent of, of the atonement was limited to only those who will believe. And in either case, you're making a distinction, but what do you end up with? The death of Christ is only for those who believe. <laughs> right? You can say the effect of it is only for those who will believe, but the intent was for everyone. The other one can say, well, the effect of the gospel, the effect of the atonement is for those who believe, but the intent was only for the elect. You're making a distinction that when you really throw the distinction out, what do you end up with? Who is saved? Those who believe in Jesus Christ. The effect of the atonement then is only for those who believe in Jesus Christ. Whether you believe the intent was for everyone or only for the elect, you end up with the same amount of people saved, those who believe in Jesus. So why are we fighting over making a distinction where it really doesn't make any sense? Now, you could argue philosophically and logically, if Jesus died for the whole world, then why isn't everyone saved? I got no problem challenging that. But the end result is both sides believe that the people who are saved are those who believe in Jesus. And the atonement is effectual and works in those who believe in Jesus. So the end. So once again, sometimes you have to listen to these distinctions and fights and go, hey, guys, could you just stop and look at where we really are when it's all said and done? We're literally in the same place. So now he's raising a question. Well, wait a minute. If you tell people, if you believe in Jesus, you're forgiven. Well, then everyone who believes in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, they're all going to heaven. Well, 
Isn't there, when you say believe in Jesus, first, don't you have to believe in the right Jesus? Because he says this, I worked with Mormon chaplains who assured me that they were not a cult because they believed that Jesus died for their sins and that he had forgiven them. They quoted 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to make their case. I had a Christian science chaplain who was my boss. He told me that Jesus had forgiven him of his sins. So because these other groups say, hey, I'm believing Jesus and the forgiveness of sins, then that's, we can't preach believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins because see, then that's somehow a wrong gospel. Look, the Mormon does not believe in the Jesus of the Bible and you should know that. The, the just take Mormonism. I'd have to look into Christian science, but I guarantee you somewhere there's going to be a problem with them believing in the tri- triune God, the deity of Christ, Christ being eternal, something along those lines. So, so th- their issue would be deeper than they believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. They go on to say, There are many different groups proclaiming that salvation is by works. They insist that if one is going to be in the kingdom, they must be baptized or speak in tongues or tithe or do a number of different things. But they all believe that Jesus has given them the forgiveness of sins. It is a fact that many people believe that they have been forgiven, but do not believe they have eternal life. They do not believe eternal life is given as a free gift by God's grace. They believe they must earn it even though Jesus has forgiven them. So he's making an argument because some people believe that God has forgiven them, but they believe you have to work for eternal life, that somehow then we have to come along to correct that false gospel, supposedly. Then we have to say, oh, no, you believe in Jesus for eternal life, not for the forgiveness of sins, because they're separate things. And somehow that's going to clarify everything. That just muddies the water. You have to believe in the true Jesus. And his finished work for eternal life, for for the forgiveness of sins. I don't know how you separate those. If someone's walking around going, all of my sins have been forgiven. So I'm believing in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, but I believe you have to work for eternal life. So then I'm going to turn around and say, well, well, you got it all wrong. So you have to believe in Jesus for eternal life, but forgiveness of sins is something separate. What, What is, I don't even understand how this fixes anything. This seems to be muddying the water beyond all comprehension. If someone believes Jesus, if they believe in Jesus and believe all their sins are forgiven, then I don't know how they could believe they have to do something for eternal life because all their sins are forgiven. So there you correct them and go, no, if you believed in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, you have eternal life because in Jesus, all your sins are forgiven and he's imputed to his righteousness. You correct their understanding. You don't go and say, well, we're going to flip this around. No, guys, guys, guys. No, you believe in Jesus for eternal life. Forgiveness of sins is separate. So if you only believe in Jesus for forgiveness of sins, but don't believe you have eternal life, your gospel is wrong. Our gospel is right because we believe in Jesus for eternal life, but not the forgiveness. What in the world? I, I don't even understand that. Now, he says, a biblical example of such a group is found in Acts 15.1. There we are told that in the early church, some were preaching that in order to be saved, one must be circumcised according to the custom of Moses. It is probable that this was not the only requirement the unbeliever had to perform. Circumcision was the first step in keeping the whole law of Moses. These preachers were clearly teaching that one had to work in order to make it into the kingdom. But there is no doubt they believed that Jesus was the Christ. If they hadn't, they wouldn't have been at the church council that was taking place. If asked, they would have said that Jesus had forgiven them of their sins. However, the apostles strongly condemned the message these men preached. We say, so, so because you had people going, hey, you got to be circumcised and you got to keep the law. He's saying, well, clearly they would have believed Jesus had forgiven their sins. So, so we've got to then come around and say, well, we, we don't preach a gospel for the forgiveness of sins. We have to preach a gospel for eternal life because we've got to separate these two to battle that. No, you don't battle that. You know what you say? If you believe Jesus has forgiven all your sins, on what basis did he forgive all your sins? Because his finished work. So if all of your sins have been forgiven by his finished work, then guess what? You don't need to keep the law in order to be saved because all your sins have been forgiven and his righteousness has been imputed to you. You just correct it. You don't have to convolute this entire thing and go, now, wait a minute. Believe in Jesus for eternal life. The whole forgiveness thing is separate. 
What? So do you have to do you have to believe in Jesus for both to get both? I I don't even know. Um, it says, uh, once again, we see that there is a difference between the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. I, I don't know how you draw that conclusion. Um, it goes on to say, um, or I'm going to read this all again. Are all these groups preaching an acceptable gospel? One that saves a person from the lake of fire. They all preach the forgiveness of sins and that this forgiveness is only found in Christ. At the same time, they also deny that they have eternal life. They can only, that can only be obtained by doing good works for the rest of their lives. Once again, we see that this is a difference between forgiveness of sins and eternal life. I don't know how we see this supposed difference you're talking about. There's people running, they're claiming there's people running around going, hey, believe in Jesus, your sins are forgiven, but, 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 you don't have eternal life until you do this, 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 this. And they're saying the way to combat that is to say, nope, you've got it wrong. You have to believe in Jesus for eternal life. Forgiveness is something separate. So then I have to believe in Jesus to get eternal life. Then I have to believe in Jesus to get the forgiveness of sins. Or when you believe in Jesus, you get both. I, I, I don't understand this. I am perplexed. This makes no sense. They go on to say, I would say that the message they preach is not a saving one, even though they all claim the forgiveness of sins. So th- now they're g- now they're going on to say, hey, if you tell people believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, that's not a saving message. That it's a false gospel. Wow. Christians, we can't stop ourselves, can we? We just can't. We, we can't agree literally on anything. We can't even agree on what the gospel message. Sometimes this is the thing that just leads me to a pit of complete despair, makes me want to turn off this microphone, get in my car, drive to the liquor store and say, what's the point? We can't even agree on what the gospel message is for crying out loud. So now if I say, believe in Jesus and your sins will be forgiven, I'm now preaching a false gospel. Because what I'm supposed to say, believe in Jesus for eternal life. And then I guess you have to believe in Jesus in order to get forgiveness. I don't know what you're supposed to do second. I don't know. And then the next part, they have a heading. It's awfully confusing. Yes, I will agree. Your article is... Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Okay, it's it's crazy. The unbeliever who, who is told to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins will usually be left in a confused state. Will they? Will they be left in a confused state? Will they? Because I pretty much understood when I believed in Jesus, I was believing in Jesus and all my sins were forgiven. And I was not confused by that. Now, I became a little bit confused when I started hearing that, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I got to now do this, 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 this in order to prove that my sins were actually forgiven because my sins may not actually be forgiven until I'm doing these things. Because if I don't do these things, then I prove I was never saved. That confused me. They say, uh, so I'm going to read this again. The unbeliever who is told to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins will usually be left in a confused state. What does that mean? Does it mean that he forgives us of our sins now and that if we continue in good works, we might make it into heaven? Does it mean that he wipes the slate clean, but then we better not mess up? It's my experience that most people sitting in the pew on Sunday morning believe some version of these ideas. Now, look, I agree that there may be people who go, wait a minute, my sins were forgiven, but if I commit a sin now, that proves I was never saved. That is confusing, but I don't think the solution is, well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, everyone, wait a minute. You believe on Jesus for eternal life, not for the forgiveness of sins, but how do you have eternal life without the forgiveness of sins? Maybe you, the best way is to explain our, our sins are forgiven positionally, perfectly, completely. It's done. It's all paid for. And then practically, as we try to walk with Christ... Sin, practical sin that we commit now, impacts our fellowship with Christ. That's why we confess. That's why there is continuing practical, in a sense, forgiveness to maintain our fellowship with Christ. 
But the confusion is even worse. How badly can we mess up and still make it? Since we all continue to sin, we do. Uh, when do we sin to the degree that we are no longer forgiven and will be cast into hell? This confusion is the reason that we hear people who say they are forgiven also say things like, I hope I make it into heaven. I try to keep the Ten Commandments, and I think I'm a, a better than most. If I hold on, maybe I have a good chance. I don't think that's because they were taught believe in Jesus and your sins will be forgiven. I believe there's some, I don't, I don't think this has anything to do with that problem. This is a far cry from the assuring words of our Lord. Most assuredly, I say unto you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. And why do I have everlasting life? Because believing in the one who paid and died for all my sins. Isn't that the whole thing about Jesus? That we'll call his, his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Right? Isn't that the whole point? Um, isn't that the whole point? Let me see here. If I have it here, um, hang on, let me see here. Maybe it's Colossians that I'm thinking of. Maybe it's Colossians. Hang on, I could be wrong. I may not have the passage right here in front of me. All right, hang on, let me look here. Oh yeah, in whom? In Christ. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. How do we have forgiveness of sins? In his blood. When I believe in Jesus, I'm believing in his sacrificial death on the cross for me, which includes the forgiveness of sins. I don't know why you're trying to draw this distinction. He's trying to draw a distinction to fix a problem that you're not fixing. Then it goes on. Here's the conclusion. The Lord's payment for our sins on the cross is a wonderful doctrine. It is the reason Jesus can give eternal life to anybody who believes in him for it. It is possible that an unbeliever can hear about the forgiveness of sins and deduce that Jesus gives him eternal life as well. Most unbelievers, however, do not come to that conclusion. That explains the lack of assurance on the part of many who believe Jesus forgives their sins. I don't think that's where the the lack of assurance comes from people who say, you can believe in Jesus, you have eternal life and your sins are forgiven. However, the only way you know that's true is if you do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. That's the problem. The problem isn't, Hey, don't tell them to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins because that creates the problem. You're not even, I don't even think they're diagnosing the problem and their solution is absolutely, I don't understand it. Um, it says, uh, they go on to say here, um, To simply say to the unbeliever that Jesus offers the forgiveness of sins will most often leave him confused. Why should we help to create the confusion? The Gospel of John repeatedly proclaims the offer of of eternal life and never mentions the need to believe in the forgiveness of sins. It is tragic that in evangelicalism, this is often reversed. In Gospel presentations, we constantly hear about the forgiveness of sins, but very rarely about everlasting life. Let's make it clear. Let's tell unbelievers that they need to believe in Jesus for eternal life. That is what the Lord himself did. That is the most confusing, confounding thing I have ever read in my life. I don't understand it. I am perplexed and confused by it. I don't understand. I would challenge you go to faithalone.org. You may be able to read the magazine online. Um, and then you just look for the article entitled Believe in Jesus for the Forgiveness of Sins. Is that a saving message? I, I have no, look, I love this magazine. I will continue to tell people to subscribe to it. But that article, that is insane to me. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and your sins will be forgiven. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will have everlasting life and you will not perish. It's all an all-encompassing message. Positionally, you are perfect, righteous. All your sins are forgiven. Now, practically, guess what? You're still going to sin because you still have a sin nature. Positionally, you're a new creature. The old is gone. All is new. Practically, you still have a sin nature and you're still going to sin. And that sin hurts your fellowship with Christ, not your eternal relationship with him because now you are adopted into the family of God 
You're a co-heir with Christ. Your position is secure because of imputed righteousness, but you still sin, and that hurts your fellowship with Christ. So we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins as far as our practical walk is concerned. But guess what? Our eternal position is secure. Even if I don't ask for forgiveness for our practical sin, my eternal position is secure in him. If you want to draw a distinction, that's the distinction you have to make. All right. I'm, I am, I don't know what I am right now other than I just want to go, (sighs) because what was that? If you have any thoughts about that, for those who emailed me, I don't know if I made any sense of that. I don't know if I helped you at all. I may have only added to the confusion. Please make a list of questions. Email them to me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. I will be more than happy to try to answer them. I'm a little baffled. I'm a little confused. But it's frustrating that time and time again within Christianity, and every time you turn around, there's some, there's them saying, yeah, everyone's preaching a false gospel. Everyone's always claiming your gospel is false. You're, nobody, I, I, I don't even, we don't agree on any. We, look, ladies and gentlemen, it's, it's maddening how much we disagree on within Christianity. Sometimes, sometimes what we do need to do is turn down all of the noise about doctrinal differences and fighting and arguing. And sometimes we just need to get back to the, the word and just trying to live out our Christian life. It's a time and place for those doctrinal disputes. Sometimes it's just time for some devotional reading and meditating on God's word so that we can continue to grow as a Christian because you can get so caught up in fighting and arguing about every theological difference that that you don't grow spiritually. You just grow in winning arguments. So we got to make sure, yeah, that kind of stuff has to be addressed, but don't forget just your daily walk with Christ and reading and studying his word and not making everything like we got to fight it because man, sometimes that can be maddening. All right. Email me news. If at yahoo.com news. If at yahoo.com. Thank you for joining us for a Wednesday from the studio message, not Wednesday from the middle of nowhere, Texas message, but in either case, hopefully you found some benefit in it. Thank you for listening. Everyone have a wonderful Wednesday night and may God bless you.